2: Hello and welcome to the West Ham Fan Show with me, Johnny Burrow, and it's a delight to be joined in the studio by James Jones of West Ham World and Will Pugh of Bulls on the Line podcast. It's a West Ham Fan Show in a week where we didn't see much of West Ham, but of course various hammers were in action for their respective nations, not least a certain Mr Declan Rice, the Irish Young Player of the Year turning out, obviously, for England. You were impressed by him, Will.
3: Oh, absolutely. Who wasn't? I don't think it was just West Ham fans who were, Johnny. I think England fans across the nation uh, were were all equally impressed by by the performance he put in. For a young man, he's 20 years of age, didn't look out of place at all. Then, you know, if anything, he he had a positive impact on the game, I'd say.
1: James, what did you make of him? I thought he was superb. I didn't see a great deal of him against Czech, uh, the Czech Republic, but um, uh, because I'd be, someone was chewing my ear off in the pub. <laughs> um, thought we were what, Cro- what about? Thought we were playing Croatia. That's always a good start. He was like, "This isn't bad. We're beating beating World Cup semi finalists five nil. Mm. Also World Cup finalists. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> that was, that was <laughs> a little bit strange, wasn't it? But um, so, but I, I made sure I sat down and watched his full ninety minutes against Montenegro on Monday, and I thought he was superb. Not perfect. Um, it would be silly to think that it was perfect because you know he, he's got. You know, you've got some great stats, Will, which you are going to pull out in a, in a little bit. But you know. He he looks really good. He looks composed on the ball. Plenty of forward passing, which you know some some people say that he needs to get better at. in terms, you know he's playing in a role where he's very defensive. And I was a little bit critical in that he looked like he was playing too deep sometimes. Um, it sometimes looked like he's playing at centre half rather than holding mid. But I thought you know for for a first start on the international stage uh, in a difficult arena as we know, uh, I thought he did a fantastic job. And I think he's he's done his chances of being in the team for the National League, uh, the Nations League in the summer, uh, the world are good. I think he was, he was absolutely superb. So that role he plays
2: is a very complex one because he's got to obviously be defensively solid, but also distribution is a big part of that. Mm. Which side of it do you think he was most impressive at for England?
3: Well, I think the first thing to remember is that he was on the pitch for seven of England's 10 goals that he scored. And that's, that's a good my, stat. That's my first That's a great stat. stat. Yeah. That's a superb stat. Obviously, got half an hour in the first game at the end of the game, but we scored twice after he came on. And then what we were ch- we were chatting about before the show was how, you know, not West Ham part aside. When you watch England normally, there there's countless times where we've been to games like that, Montenegro away, and scraped to one 0 if we were lucky. Or maybe come away of a one-all, and you know everyone's trying to find the positives in what was a disappointing performance. But we scored ten goals against two teams that we would expect to beat. Declan Rice was a big part of that, at the age of twenty, and I think it speaks volumes that James is talking about there. If he's being hypercritical, as he's put it, but that the fact that we're being hypercritical about a twenty-year-old West Ham player starting for England when we've, you know, when the nation scored seven goals of him on the pitch, I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I don't disagree. I thought uh, it was—it was, it was pr- I was very proud to to see him uh, not just come off the bench in the first game, but start the second. And I think we all knew he would start the second. But you're right; he is only twenty years old, and he's—he's he's not going to be perfect. I don't think you know, not every player is perfect unless your name's Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. I think, and um, you know, you have to look at it in that yeah, he's young; he's going to learn that was a difficult place to go in montenegro and he he's going to given the the hostile atmosphere that it was and you know we all know about that you know it's been well documented what the situation was over there and for him to on, on such young shoulders to go out there and perform the way he did then you know he's got he's got a lot you know he's 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 definitely got that international career ahead of him definitely so you've just said that he's definitely got an international
2: career ahead of him, James. Well, we heard from you a moment ago saying he's definitely got a spot in the nation's league squad. It's certainly looking likely. He's an impressive talent. But in terms of the players he's competing with for a role in the England team in that kind of position, the likes of Eric Dyer, of Jordan Henderson, how do you think he matches up to them?
3: I I always begrudgingly or have recently begrudgingly started to admire Jordan Henderson. He was always one of those players I thought that he did nothing spectacular. But, you know, especially when he's playing for Sunderland, they're were, they were a club that wasn't glamorous. He was an unglamorous player for an unglamorous club. And he got... He got but apart from that. Yeah, oh. apart from that, yeah. <laughs> no, but he got the Liverpool move. And then, like, after, after a while, you kind of admire the way he carries himself. You saw when it was getting a little bit heated at the end of the Montenegro game the other night he's he's fulfilling that role as, you know, a senior player in that team. And he's, he was giving it some back and defending his, you know, his teammates. Danny and Rose, by
2: the way, if you want to talk about defending and giving some back, about two seconds later, just clatters someone. That's right. Almost yeah. no reason,
3: which and is it, quite, quite it, nice in a quite way. Quite nice to see, exactly, yeah. But I, so I do, I have actually got a lot of respect for Jordan Henderson and what he does. He's an integral part of one of the best teams in the Premier League. So that's not a... That's not an easy person to shift out the way, but you know Henderson's a little bit older now as well. Declan Rice is young and he's coming through if you know if he's fit, he gets in that nation's league squad, no doubt about it but and I think you know I don't think anyone in the country, West Ham or otherwise, will be clamoring for Eric Dyer to start ahead of Declan Rice going forward because he's he's the past, not the future.
1: I think you're right and um, you know, regardless of you know how you thought he played over those two games, or uh, particularly in Montenegro, I think you know, for, for a young player at uh, to to be in and amongst players, you know, like Harry Kane, like Deli Alley, you know, experienced international players, it's only going to do him the world of good. Um, so, you know, he will come back to West Ham sharper, um, you know, with a bit of a spring in his step because you know he's a, he's a proud, proud Englishman, um, <laughs> in inverted commas, in Englishman, inverted commas and bold. And italics. Um, I I think you know he's. he's, It should push him off for us this season to really. You know, he's going to want to be there in the summer, isn't he? Because he's had a taste of it. He's loved it, Um, and he's. he's, It can only be good for West Ham in the short term. In the long term, it might be a bit of a worry, though. Well, do you think those two
2: games were enough of a test for us to suddenly go Declan Rice international pedigree important for England for years to come because he was very very good. But no disrespect to the Czech Republic and Montenegro, it was the Czech Republic and Montenegro. We're not talking about, as um, James's mate in the pub was saying, Croatia or Italy or Spain or anyone like that. Until he does it against that kind of opposition, can we really be
3: sure? Well, my, I've got quite a, a swift rebuttal to that. John, I look I must forward admit. to it. Yeah, I mean, I think, A, you can only beat what's in front of you, can't you, first of all? And there's plenty of... Like outstanding domestic players, Gerard Lampard, you know, plenty of Rooney. There were plenty of players who were outstanding in the Premier League who have gone to places like that in an England shirt and struggled. So first of all, the fact we beat them 5-0 anyway, everyone's kind of like, oh, you know, oh, it's Montenegro, it's Czech Republic. But at the end of the day, we've struggled against teams like that in the past. So I think that's impressive. But the, the stats that I wanted to wheel out, the Montenegro game in particular, Declan Rice, 71 passes. Ninety-six percent pass completion, which was the highest in the England eleven that day. Six tackles, most for England again. Two interceptions and three blocks. Like right. you can only beat what's in front of you, and it's the second time that man's ever pulled on an England shirt at twenty years of age, and he's he's impressed beyond belief. He's done exactly what he he all he could do really. And when those games come against the bigger nations, sure, it might be a test for him and it probably will be another lesson, but he's certainly equipped to take that on.
1: I do agree. Um, but at the same time, we, we've seen him perform for West Ham against some of the big teams in the Premier League and those big teams in the Premier League are also the big the biggest teams in Europe. Um, and he's done it without it really any any issues. You know, he's performed well against Tottenham. He performed well against, you know, scored against Arsenal. Scored against Arsenal. He, he he's played well. Against, okay, got pulled off against Liverpool in the first day of the season, but then he he counteracted that by getting back in the team, and then had a really good game when we drew with him one or at home. So, um, he's showing that he he's got you know that head on his shoulders that can deal with the pressure of playing against big bigger teams with star players on the opposition. Um, he's played he's already played against some of the best team best players in the world in terms of who's in the Premier League. So, I uh, you know. If he can continue doing that for the rest of the season, then there's no reason why you know he can't be trusted to go in into that into that Nations League and then beyond into the Euros in a couple of years' time, the World Cup beyond that. Uh, I think we've got England have got a player, regardless of West Ham, England have got a player there that you know is is set and is, is ready to to be there for for many many years to come, and you know for a West Ham fan to say West Ham fan to say that about a player. Who's still at West Ham is is quite incredible, and you know it, it makes you proud to think oh, we've you know we, we brought this player through because um, the youngest player to represent England bef- uh, to start for England before Declan Rice was Rio Ferdinand, um, and that was a long time ago. So it's nice to actually have a player uh, come through and perform like that for England. It, it's superb. But it's interesting there that you talk about him being a player
2: who'll be performing for England for many years, and yet you did use the phrase "still at West Ham." How long do you see Declan Rice remaining at the club for?
3: I almost don't even want to have that conversation. Not through. No, I'm going to force you to have the conversation. I'm afraid. But not through. Not through fan. You know. Oh, I really want Declan Rice to stay at West Ham forever. Obviously, I'd love that. You just want to
2: revel in the now.
3: Well, not even that. I just think that's so. It's so, you know, emblematic of modern day football. if Do
2: you like. think he could stay? Serious question. Yeah. Do you think Declan Rice could turn around? And go. You know what? I love West Ham United, and I'm just going to play my football here.
3: Right. Let's be honest. Sorry, James. First of all, he. It was only the first game of this season. He got hauled off at Liverpool. Yeah. For, for not being. He's he's come on leaps and bounds in that time. But as we've seen with many a youth player before. These players do have blips and they do have lulls, don't they? So, although, you know, it'd be great if he carried on this trajectory, but there's no guarantee, is it, that he's going to carry on at this sort of level for the rest of the year?
1: Well, no, I was talking to a mate at work who's a Tottenham fan and he said, you know what, Eric Dyer is, is a bit of a warning to Declan Rice in that, you know, Eric Dyer, signed by Tottenham, you know... Superb, in you know, in those early stages, got his England call up. Looked really, really good.
2: Versatile, young you know, talent.
1: versatile can play centre half, can play holding mid. But then suddenly, it's like you know, he's caught caught in the middle of those two positions. Doesn't really perform well if you place in centre half uh, in in holding mid for a while. Then when he goes back to centre half when he has to, a little bit ropey. Um And you know, and my mate made a good point in that. Declan Rice has to ensure that he doesn't fall into that bracket where no one really knows where his best position is. And then when he is played in one of those positions, he's not 100% brilliant. You know, he's a little bit ropey. You can't really rely on him. Because at the moment, he's about to take Eric Dyer's pace for England because Eric Dyer has fallen into that bracket because he doesn't really know where he fits. But you two see Declan Rice
2: pretty definitely as a holding midfielder, don't yeah, you? Yeah,
1: when Declan Rice even came out and said, you know, I like playing holding midfielder. I want to be a holding midfielder. He started out as a centre half, and he's in that coming to midfield. And he, you know, he, by doing that, he's earned himself an England call up, uh, and even an Ireland call up before then. So <laughs> quite a few Ireland um, call ups. Yeah. So do you know? Do you know what I think? I think we'll be lucky if if he keeps going the way he is. We'll be lucky to keep hold of him for you know anywhere beyond next season. I think we've got him for at least one more year, but it all depends on what West Ham do. If we get into Europe, then we will keep him. But if we don't, then that's a problem that we've got because you know, as we know from you know, many, many years ago, all these really great England, England hopefuls, we don't match their ambitions as a football club uh, compared to you know their ambitions as a player, and they end up going on to, to to bigger and better things and winning Premier League titles and Champions Leagues. And I think you know if we don't do that, then Declan Rice is going to going to end up moving on. In terms of Rice's future, it's obviously
2: very hard to guess how good a player is going to become. But I'm going to offer you two hypothetical situations here and I need you to pick one. So your two options are as follows. First of all, Declan Rice is what he appears to be, is someone who is a world-class talent who goes on to become a top, top player. But he leaves West Ham in a year or two and goes on to become one of England's greats. So you can have that option. Or you can have Declan Rice's development plateaus a bit. He is a good but not fantastic Premier League player and he ends his career at West Ham, a club legend and a one-club man, but someone who didn't quite fulfil that potential. Which are you having?
3: It well, seems like a bit of an unfair choice. I'd rather take <laughs> Declan Rice's fortunes uh, progress at the same rate as West Ham's and we both I, end um, up...
2: Unfortunately, that wasn't on the ballot paper, <laughs> Will. Uh,
3: yeah, I I think... it. It's hard to say, really. It, it, it'd be great to see him go on. At the end of the day, he did come from Chelsea. He started at Chelsea's academy. He only came to us at 14. He, he obviously loves the club and what they've done for him up till now. And as much of a politician's answer as this might sound, <laughs> I don't, don't really want to pin my flag to the mast on either one of those. But I think I think it's become quite clear this year that Declan Rice is destined for, for big things in the game. Even if he do, does have a blip, he's done enough so far to encourage a lot of faith in him from people at you know certainly in the Premier League and then at international level as well we've seen Gareth Southgate Gareth Southgate has kept faith with players who you know haven't no Dye is a good example of that actually he might not have been ripping trees up this year but he's still in he's still in Gareth Southgate's th- thoughts it's quite a difficult name to say that isn't it <laughs> but uh, is it? <laughs> he's still in his thoughts and I so I think that to see De- Declan, Rice is on his way to big things, regardless of whether it's in a West Ham shirt or not. Ideally, it's in a West Ham shirt and West Ham are, you know, like James said there, keeping up with his ambitions. However, if, if, if that's not the case, then at least he started out. and As long as he's contributed to a couple of good seasons and a big part of West Ham's overall future, then great.
1: And I think it's important that you know. I mean, we're we're used to this. We okay, it hasn't happened for many years now. But we're used to having these, you know, these really young, promising players come through the ranks, and then that he does it in a way that you know doesn't end up us sort of hating him and and despising the way he did it. You know, of Jermaine Defoe and uh, Frank Lampard and and players like that that you know left in a way that under know, a cloud, under a cloud, left a bad taste in the mouth, and then you spend the rest of his career you know, disliking him and he comes back and we boo him. And Whereas he could go on and do, uh, you know, if he does move on, then you'd like to think it'd be like Rio Ferdinand or, or Michael Carrick or players like that that Glenn Johnson that left. Um, but, you know, didn't leave in a way that left a bad taste in the mouth. So, I mean, personally, I don't think we we, we should be thinking about that now. I think we should be enjoying Dick Morris for what he is and, and sort, of, sort of what he offers the football club for the time being. But we have to accept that, Perhaps in the next couple of years we might have to wave goodbye to him if we can't push on as a football club. But you'd have to expect that we
2: should be. So for Declan Rice, if he does leave, it's a question of doing things in the right way. Coming up, we'll be talking about West Ham's other England hopefuls. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones of West Ham World and Will Pugh of the Balls on the Line podcast. We've been talking a lot about Declan Rice, who obviously was very impressive in his first couple of appearances for England. But do you think there are other players currently in the West Ham squad who we could see pull on the England strip before too long?
3: I think currently would be quite difficult. Would you agree? I, I think players we've had who've, you know, recently been in that conversation who are, would have been in and around was obviously Cresswell uh, mm-hmm. and Antonio, Antonio. Yeah, Noble. I know he was sort of
1: the... The man that should have got one that never well, I, did. I think Noble probably deserves a token caller before it's he not, retires. It's not going to happen, is it? With no, South I, Gates. I, no I, honestly, I think that you know this is a man that's been, has been fouled by the England senior team over his career. Um, you, you, Johnny, you look at me like, oh, what are you talking about? No, I'm, I'm interested. And this I, is and say interested that, I say that because this is a guy that represented the under twenty ones, captain the under twenty ones for twenty thirty games. Captained them in a in a in a cup final, European Championships cup final under twenty one level. Yeah, okay, they got battered by uh, Germany 4 And I still stand by that claim that you know, had he played for Arsenal or Tottenham, he would have been called up. for England. he'd have about twenty caps by now. Uh, a lot of people laugh at me when I say that, but regardless of what you think of Martin Noble as a footballer, he would have played for England if he played for a bigger football club. Uh, even if he came through the ranks at uh, another football club, played five games and then went somewhere else, within those five games you would have got an England call up because he played for those teams. So I think that you know the way the England set-up was back then when he was coming through at, uh, at an under-21 level hindered him because of the way it, it set-up. And I think you know, any other country, he would have played for that country because he captained the under-21s for so many games um, and he never got the call-up because you had managers there that go, well, you, know, you only playing for West Ham, why would I call you up?
2: I take your point, and I, I'm not dismissing this at all, but there are other factors, aren't there? There are things like when Mark Noble was coming through, that midfield, that England midfield, was pretty special. And it was pretty stacked with talent. You had Gerard, Lampard, Carrick, Hargreaves, Scholes. There were top players not really even getting a look in. By, by,
1: then, Scholes had, I think by then, Scholes had retired um, or had, had removed himself from international duty because he'd been played out of position. they were still Um, trying to get him back even in 2010 yeah Yeah. and you had tom
3: huddleston getting caps and this is worse than that though yeah
2: this is is the more interesting point as well because tom huddleston is an example where he was playing for spurs but there are others more recently um for example jake livermore who i think was playing for west brom or hull at the time getting england caps and you think He's a hopeless footballer. That'll win you any argument, by the way. If you're ever arguing that a player should get an England cap and someone goes, no, he's rubbish, just go, Jake Livermore's got like five. And I go, no, fair enough, okay. Yeah. But why do you think he got one rather than Noble?
1: Well, I've, I've no idea. Um, and I don't know whether it's just his links with Tottenham. Um, but he yeah, he knows mind. some Tottenham players. He knows. Well, I mean, he used <laughs> to play for Tottenham, didn't he, Jake? Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. I just think that... Mark Noble came through a, a, an era where it was it wasn't about how good you were; it was about who you played for. Um, and you know, as we're seeing now under Southgate, it's less about who you play for and more about how how good you are.
3: One thing I think Noble struggled with a little bit, when compared with some of those lesser players who were just touched on there, who did get caps and perhaps they didn't deserve them, was. Nothing Noble does is spectacular, is it? His overall game is spectacular. But Huddleston, for example, you know, at best does an score average middle Exactly. You'd ping one in from forty yards. One to a left foot. Yeah. yeah. It'd be on like it'd be goal of the season or match of the day for a, a couple of you know, two months out of the out of the season. And some of the other, like Livermore, you know, he's a bit of an athlete. I mean, he—that is a good shout, actually. I can't he think is, of any he's argument. He's the
1: worst for white, English
2: yeah. <laughs> central midfielder to
1: ever get uh, an England. Cap. Ryan Mason's got to be out there as well. He, yeah, possibly.
3: But again, similar to Noble, I think with Mason, don't don't you agree? It's like, to an extent, not as good. Then, obviously, I mean,
1: I get your point. Um, but I think you know, even if you don't think that Martin I was good enough to 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 play in, in in England midfield, then take him take him to the major tournaments just for the penalties. <laughs> like let's have it right really like, I think he's missed what two penalties in his entire career you know in his, in his life it, I think in, his, in life. his life so
2: hang on it's England in a World Cup semi-final they're playing Brazil it's 1-0 it's 75 minutes bring in bring Martin Oberlong you get a penalty and the thing you are doing is waving to the bench and going where's Mark absolutely yeah, yeah. Genuinely.
1: why wouldn't you he's, he's probably got one of the best uh, conversion rates from the penalty spot in the Premier League era and you know and I'm being serious when I say that um, and I think that now, what, just take him along you know we would have won far more penalty shootouts in major tournaments had we had Mark Noble um, and but I mean there are jo- other Johnny, examples out there Johnny you're looking at I, me I going, can't, I can't yeah, ta- yeah, I, I'm not I, having that
2: I'm interested by the Mark Noble deserves an England cap argument I think you're probably right but the penalty line I'm not going for there was Graham Alexander who played for Burnley and was not a spectacular footballer, it has to be said. He took 78 penalties in his career. He scored 73 of them. It's and decent. I, it's, fair de- it, yeah. it's decent. And I wouldn't be bringing him off uh, on, rather, in a World Cup. I'd be starting him in a World Cup <laughs> semi-final. <laughs> so with Noble, the thing that also could be coming into it is about form, right? And Mark Noble, as well as, as you say, being not spectacular in any one area, he's consistent as a player. He's kind of been consistent in terms of form, and I may be wrong here. You've watched him more than I have, but I find it hard to think of a real purple patch, say a third of a season, where Mark Noble was playing a significantly higher standard than he normally does. He's always quite good, and you can be a less good footballer, Mm. have a good spell, and then get a call-up without getting another one. Heads are shaking.
3: Last season at Upton Park...
1: Best season of his career.
3: Best season of his career by far. and that was
1: emotionally driven though, wasn't it? I
3: agree, but whatever the reasons were, he, He's still very good. Was, still, he was outstanding that year. And mm. obviously everyone, rightfully so, gives Pyatt a lot of plaudits and Lanzini was outstanding that season as well. Sacco put in you know, a good shift and Winston Reid was brilliant. And yeah, to be fair, a lot of it probably was all about that. Bilic was there as well and he was a big part of it, I think. But Mark Noble, in he was an enabler that season.
2: So he but was good enough at that point for an England Cup.
1: Well, I think it, it that was, was that the, season you know, when you know Livermore was getting called up, Ryan Mason was getting called up for England. You know, every single day, every single squad announcement, I was like, surely he's got to be in this one, and then it wouldn't be, and it'd be some random, random person, Ryan Mason get called up, and you were like, why is he there? You know, what, what's he done that Mark Noble hasn't? Um, and I can guarantee Monho will probably feel the same way like, what more can I do to get back into this English squad I did so many years of service to the 21s why am I not getting a crack at the senior squad but that was the time wasn't it that was the time he won't get it now now, and that's the sad thing about it Um, so yeah it is is what it is but we've got Deccan Rice now coming through and, and doing the club proud should Mark Noble
2: have an England cap should he get called up now as James is suggesting should Southgate just go just a
1: token call ups, fine y- yeah, it's thanks. fine just call we'll, him we'll up don't, don't have to play him just call him up Never what's the
2: point up? in that then he doesn't get a cap if you're yeah,
1: going to no, call no, him, up, him up him on, it. throw him on in the last minute it's Montenegro away do it You know, take what? You know Rice, know, Rice off. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> a convert
2: justice for Mark if you think that he deserves an England cap get in touch 0208 7020 Declan Rice is a name that keeps cropping up and certain people aren't very happy with him. James McLean, I'm looking at you. This is Love Sport. He's the Irish Young Player of the Year and he looks great in green. But Declan Rice has made two England appearances now and crucially... They were appearances in competitive fixtures, which means his future is tied to England forever. Various people in the Republic of Ireland set up aren't very pleased with this, not least a certain James McLean, who himself is a Republic of Ireland international. So if you've somehow missed this, the situation was McLean came out, gave an interview and said, I think this is shocking from Declan Rice. I think if you're willing to change allegiances, you never cared about playing for Ireland at all. And if you don't want to play for us, we don't want you. Go off and play for someone else. We don't care. James McLean is now getting criticised pretty soundly and Twitter have had a lot of fun with this because obviously his argument is that once you represent one nation, you are committed to that nation you can't switch people have pointed out that republic of ireland international james McLean was in fact born in derry in northern ireland and he represented the northern irish under 21s seven times before switching allegiance to play for ireland what do you guys make of this
1: will i know you feel quite strongly about this so do you want to
3: yeah i do i just think it's ridiculous i think it's complete hypocrisy like you said there johnny lots of people have jumped on it And I think rightfully so. I I was saying to James earlier on that I used to, you know, I had a lot of respect for James McLean with the way he handled himself with the poppy issue. You know, he was always a big figurehead in England. He was sort of the first one to really come out and say, look, I'm not going to wear the poppy. However, he explained it quite eloquently. He explained that, you know, his friends and family where he grew up and, and his beliefs mean that he's not comfortable doing that. And I think, he, you know, he got a lot of abuse, but fair enough, because he explained it well. But he's almost, he's just sort of lost all of that respect with this statement. I think he, he said to, he made it, or well, he tried to make it clear, he threw it at the, in at the end, after he'd come out with all this damning stuff, that, um, you know, it wasn't just about Declan rice it's not just anyone,
2: anyone else if you're not proud to be here and we're a stepping stone then leave and play for someone else
3: yeah if you know i he said he was a proud irishman then he was a proud englishman if he's both good luck to him but i don't buy it i think you're either one or the other
2: now there are two issues here aren't there there's one is is james mclean's point there fair because if you take that statement and you separate it from James McLean's own, perhaps, hypocrisy. Do you think, just on its own, that's fair?
3: No, not at all. I think we live in a modern world these days where it's not as easy to just... It's not as easy. People aren't just English. They're not just Irish. They're not just Welsh, Scottish, French, Spanish. No,
1: no, I get that. And and funnily enough, we're going to talk a bit about Mark Owen outrich in a recent video he's just announced, uh, just put out. Um, and in that video, actually, he says... That his dad's from Serbia, his mum's from Austria, and he loves both both countries equally. He represents Austria at international level, but he loves both countries equally. Uh, and I think you know, you're right. In this day and age, in 2019, there isn't just you know your one nationality, um, and people have to respect that. I know James McLean is you know he's you know he's a very proud Irishman, but he has to see that you know for for Declan Rice, okay, he had the opportunity to play for Ireland and. I think as, uh, as a young man, he probably got caught up in the fact that he's playing for Ireland emotionally, and he was like, I'm playing at an international level, I need to show that, you know, I want to play for Ireland. But then when he was offered the chance to go and play for England, and he true down his heart plays, you know, he's English, He's been he's grown up being told that he's English. He's grown he qualifies up
2: for Ireland through his grandparents. But I just and think- he
1: just, he, you know, you've he, gone, you know, he's been given that opportunity for Ireland at a, a young level when he said, you know, I'm proud to be Irish, blah, blah, blah because he never thought that England call up would ever co- come up um pretty naive on his part probably but at the same time he's got his England called up and he's quite right you know the rules allow him to do that so don't have a go at Declan Rice for doing it have a go at fifa for for allowing those rules to happen for putting those rules in place that's the way I see it don't have a go at the guy you know he's just basically allowed to do what he can do because of those rules but let's be clear, he has had
3: a go at Declan Rice. There's we no have, way yeah, about yeah. it. Like he might be able to throw some clever words in the statement like I was born on the island of Ireland. It's like, well, you're born in Northern Ireland, first of all. Yeah. And like you said, oh, after he's come out with all this stuff about, you know, if he if he first of all he's an Irishman, then he's an Englishman. If you're gonna say that, that's that's fine. But then don't throw in a bit at the end saying, Oh, by the way though, this isn't just about Declan, this is about It's definitely about that. Of course it is. And I think from a man who who conducted himself really well with the poppy thing. And I think he made a really powerful stance then. And it was, you know, he got a lot of flack for that. And I understand why he got that. But fair play to him. He stuck by his guns. And I think he came out of that with a lot of respect. And I think he's sort of thrown all that in the bin with, with his recent outburst.
2: Well, yeah, I think lots of people aren't keen on James McLean anyway. I've been slightly sceptical about the way in which everyone's jumped on him because I think, obviously, you respect him for his strong stance on whether or not he wants to wear a poppy. I agree with you completely, but I think lots of the British public really don't have any time for the stance he took at all, which I think is a shame, but I think he wouldn't have got the whiplash in the same way for saying this if he wasn't James McLean and if he hadn't taken that stance with the poppies.
1: I suppose there is that argument and and you're right. I think a lot of people remember that we always remember that his views on the poppy and, and everything else. And I'm wearing the poppy then for absolutely fair enough. You know, it's, it's up to you, mate. You know, it doesn't affect me. It shouldn't affect anyone. No one should be getting annoyed about that. And we um, said, sorry to interrupt. We said, didn't we, there's plenty of South American
3: players who, who know, wear it and have who no wear idea a poppy why. on their chest and got no idea, weren't involved in the ward, haven't lost anyone. You know, it's the, yeah, it was yeah, there is two sides to that isn't and you know,
1: but that he has his reasons and that's fine. Um but you're right, I think with this whole thing, with Declan Rice and the whole nationality thing, I think he has he's he's not come across very, very well, um, compared to in, in previous things that previous things that he's felt very strongly about. Uh and he has contradicted himself a little bit because, you know, as you said, he was born in Northern Ireland. He's represented Northern Ireland at the youth level. Uh, okay, not not senior level, but still the point stands. You can't, mate, You can't just pick and choose when you want to have a go at someone.
2: But, and I I agree with you completely. But Declan Rice has contradicted himself as well because this isn't the only bit of controversy about him that's come out in the last week. Yep. there were of course these infamous. Instagram posts from Declan Rice's youth. So these are from 2015, 16 sort of time. So he's a young lad, but not that young. He's 16, 17, old enough, I would suggest, to know what the IRA is. Uh, and he posted up the Ra on one, which is obviously a sentiment mm-hmm. in support of the IRA, whether he actually meant that or whether it was something you just say is a different argument. And on another, he commented, my brother, up the Ra. wait till we draw England. So there is a genuine, not just proud okay, Irishman there, but I actually want to scrap with the England national team.
1: Yeah, and okay, when that came out, I was like, "Oh no, Derek, what have
0: you
2: done?" He's given an but... interview, by the way, where he said he expected booze from the England fans and didn't get any.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think there's someone. Who, wait, he was what? 15, 14 or 15 I think it was and, you're, yeah. and you're, you're playing for I mean he was representing in England under 15s under 16s at the time so he's following all these, you know Ireland teammates on Twitter and they're all you know talking about you know, playing England or whatever or playing at that sort of level and they're playing this country that country and he wants to get involved and he wants to feel as if he's part of the squad and he probably did at the time you know because then England wasn't an option he was Irish he had qualified for Ireland so he wanted to he wanted to be involved in 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 that sort of banter and on social media. I can guarantee uh, that whoever his teammates were at the time, those comments were being said not on social media but in between you know between them and having conversations, because otherwise why would he say it? No, um, absolutely. He's put it on social media. His mates haven't it's come out. Well, his mates might have done as well. His, he might, mates, to be yeah. Honest, yeah. his mates won't yeah. be under the spotlight. Um he, He's been caught out because he's, you know, he's, you know, he's now famous, you know, he's an England footballer. Um And Irish young guy of the year. Yeah. I hasten yeah. to add. Yeah. And, you know, I just think there's only one reason why he would have said that. And it's because a lot of his teammates would have been saying the exact same thing. And a lot of people just kind of just brush it under the carpet.
3: Oh, I totally agree. I mean, i it issued some breaking news to you earlier on about the fact that I'm half Zimbabwean again I Mental. technically breaking technically, news to me as well yeah, yeah. so the the official like the official line is if I was better at football I could mm. have represented the
1: Zimbabwean national well, team well this is
2: one of my great great disappointments that my grand grandmother wasn't actually born in Andorra because I really fancy myself at the like <laughs> yeah. international level. I said to that. Will,
1: I mean, I wish I, I wish I had relatives in San Marino because yeah. I'd have a chance.
2: Yeah, or the Faroe Islands. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah,
3: but I think it, honestly, and it is the, it is a similar thing for me. My mum was was born over there, and but I, you know, I, I'm very much English. I, I grew up here, but technically, I, it, with the same way as Declan, technically, I am. You know, I've got Zimbabwean heritage in me.
2: But if you played for the Zimbabwean national team would, in a friendly you and you then the england said "Would you kiss the <laughs> I'd <so kiss> them, <laughs> man, i wouldn't
3: score but i'd kiss the bank
2: <laughs> but it's, let's say you've played in a non-competitive game for zimbabwe which is not a sentence i was expecting to say on the radio this evening and england then said you know what you've gone up a level we'd like to have a look at you you would jump ship wouldn't you
3: of course 100 percent. because not only oh first of all i was born here this is where i grew up just like declan rice And although I do have an affiliation to the nation of Zimbabwe and it is part of who I am and it makes part of my character, of course, a 1,000% I'd I'd choose to play for England. A, because I was born here and grew up just like Declan was, but B, because they're a a far superior national team.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I technically could play for Wales or South Africa. And as you say, you know, both those countries, I'm sure they're very nice places. But while if you're listening and you'd like... uh, totally inept very tall midfielder I am available I wouldn't really have any passion I think on the Declan Rice <laughs> IRA comments obviously it's complex because the FA have encouraged supporters not to engage with anti-IRA chants. this is English supporters so to then have an England player appearing to go for the wind-up on the other side is not great obviously they were not a particularly pleasant organization you don't want to see your international footballers publicly supporting them but he was a kid and it's a very stupid... He, he wasn't in international football at the time. He wasn't at the time. It's important to say. It's a stupid thing to say. He was messing about. He almost certainly doesn't think that now. And actually, this is going to be a problem for all of us. This is going to be a problem for all of our generation because I guarantee you all three of us will have something somewhere hidden in our Facebook profile from early 2005 or wherever it would have been where we've said something that in no way reflects the way that we see the world as an adult human and we could end up i'll I'll probably lose a job in 40 years time something i said when i was three i don't know what you're talking about
3: (laughs) (laughs) and in 2005 you're about 25 30 then anyway oh cheers mate yeah (laughs) yeah
2: yeah. well you know it it was a different time he was young (laughs) he needed the money coming up west ham's other international footballers this is love sport it is the West Ham fan show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Will Pugh. We've talked a lot about Declan Rice, but he wasn't the only West Ham player on international duty.
3: No, we had Felipe Anderson, we had a Brazilian international, which is the first time for a very long time. Not since Elan. I know. What a player? What did a he player. play for Brazil, Elan? I think he did, yeah. Well he was certainly born there. <laughs> <laughs> which counts these yeah, days counts, yeah. so yeah, yeah you've got um, obviously Hernandez scored for Mexico as well he's carried on his, mm-hmm. his fine form from the club and he, he scored that dodgy celebration yeah I, where's that come from do know. you know where that's come
1: from bit weird
3: no I'm not sure but then oh. yeah uh, Lanzini played for Argentina as well but James has got a bit of an interesting insight on that
2: was that in the game they lost to Venezuela
1: yeah but Lanzini didn't actually come on But so this is this is quite a, co- a cool thing actually I quite like this and um it recently broke I think over the last 24 hours or so that you know everyone was worried when he got called back up to the Argentina squad because as we know he, he did his ACL what four days before the World Cup started while on Argentina duty and and he'd been back for what three, four games and then suddenly he gets called up again when he's fit and everyone was like oh no, the last thing he needs is to travel around the world and, and play international football Um but it turns out that he, he, he wasn't being called up to play any games. He was being called up by Argentina just so that they could reassure him that he hadn't been forgotten by the Argentina set-up and that you know that they, that they still had him in his thoughts and that they still were going to consider him for selection despite his long mouth with injury. And it was agreed with the club that he could go away with them but he wouldn't play any minutes and he can go away and train with the squad and, and meet back up with them after, after that disappointment in the summer. It's exactly what we're advocating for for Mark Noble. See, this is the thing, you know, we, we won't go back into the Mark Noble <laughs> thing. I could, I could do sort of four or five hours on Mark Noble, um, but, um, which is a bit weird actually, isn't it? But uh, No, I just think it was a nice touch from Argentina to, yeah, to do nice. that. But also nice for the club because, you know, you know, the club could have quite happily gone, no, he's not travelling anywhere, we need to keep him fit, we don't want to risk anything. We want to keep him with us just so we can keep close on eye on him. But they've gone, no, do you know what? No, you... Because that must have been heartbreaking for him four days before the start of the World Cup and do your ACL when he'd only really just broken into the Argentina squad. He had a few caps, but I couldn't believe it when they called him up for the final squad and it was it was brilliant. You, know, you know, He was finally going to get recognition even if I was a little bit worried that he'd end up moving after a great World Cup, but it didn't happen. But, you know, it's nice and he can come back relatively, you know, fresh, having trained with the likes of, you know, Messi and Dybala and, and all those other world-class players they've got and go again and channel his inner Messi for West Ham.
3: There's probably a Barcelona fan show going on somewhere going oh Lionel Messi got to go away and train with Manuel Lanzini <laughs>
1: <laughs> well there is that photo isn't it um, not long after he signed for us there's a picture of uh, Lanzini and a fan which is actually Lionel Messi uh, and Messi's holding up a West Ham shirt with Lanzini on the back and, and so that they are best mates And so I've, 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 you know, I can't say whether this is true or not, but I have heard the grapevine that Messi wants to end his career with his best mate in in East London. (laughs) He wants to visit Stratford. So, Messi, if you're listening, yeah, come see your mate. Come see your mate.
3: But uh, I, I did agree with you actually. I thought that was a really impressive move from the Argentinians. Just because you would have been worried about that, and it would have been easy for them to, you know, just pop someone else in who was fit. Mm. Or perhaps fitter than Lanzini. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was a nice move. But Arnautovic as well, he turned out twice for Austria. He started in their first game, which was a defeat to Poland, I believe. He also started and scored twice in Austria's 4-2 defeat to Israel. But he's he's come out on Instagram and posted quite a, a bit of a cryptic video, would you say, only recently?
1: Yeah, it's it's, a pro, it's clearly a promotional Video for for a brand of some kind, and
3: I think um, he confirmed that there was a marketing team that yeah. had been following him around for the last two to three months. I think, with his
1: words. Yeah, it's it's a brand that's clearly doing some work with him. You know, probably paying him a fair whack as well. And um, but he openly admits, and I quite like his honesty. You know, and he did he did do what he says. You know, he said he phoned a couple of fans up, and we've spoken to Baz. The West Ham fan on on this radio show numerous times, and you know that he phoned Baz up as one of those fans, and you know explained his his reasons by considering a move to China, and you get it, you know he's he's asked to be respected, um, and you know he said he's always respected the fans, the fans res- he should respect him, and that's it. So, all I think all of us fans ask from him, him is that he gives hundred hundred and ten percent before we drop him off in China on the way to that tournament in the summer, because that's where we going to play. Friendly, so because um, he's going to go in the summer, I think we've all accepted that, haven't we? But you know, if he can get back to scoring some goals between now and the end of the season, that'd be great. There is perhaps a bright future for him, perhaps a bright future away from West Ham
2: with various replacements, not least a certain gentleman in Celta Vigo being lined up. Don't go anywhere because coming up, there is a headline including both the name Democratic Football Lads Alliance and West Ham United. This can't be good news. This is Love Sport. Vice Chair of West Ham, Karen Brady, has issued a statement in response to calls for the club to absolutely condemn uh, the Democratic Football Lads Alliance, who are a group alleged to have ties to Islamophobia and racism. She's effectively come out and said, listen, the club is committed to opposing racism, but we're not going to single out any one group. And some people are a bit bemused why they won't, Will.
3: That's it. So Jacob Steinberg from The Guardian, who is quite infamous amongst a lot of West Ham fans recently for a lot of the outspoken views that he's had on incidents that have happened at the club around the racism incident we saw with Mo Salah. And also some anti-Semitism that he's perceived, and he's written a lot about it, and he's he's received a lot of flack and then a lot of supporters as well. But he uh, he released a, he wrote a news story this week, and it wasn't an opinion piece; it was just very much a news story about the letter that you mentioned there, Johnny, which was written by a West Ham Foundation trustee and also a London Assembly member, Unmesh Dashai but it was also signed by the mayors of Newham and Tower Hamlets, as well as four MPs, as you said there, asking West Ham to condemn the DFLA. And under 18, coach Mark Phillips was suspended last year because I believe he'd tweeted in support of this group, but he was then reinstated back at the club. And the letter basically, as you said, was asking the club to condemn all actions, and Karen Brady's responded today basically refusing to single out one particular political group to avoid giving them any oxygen and I, at the well, same time I, I condemning. I actually would
2: probably be wary about even referring to them as a political group, to be honest. I think that, uh, you know, uh, something with Football Lads Alliance in the title, you can throw the word <laughs> democratic in there, lads. It doesn't really make you a political group, but I, I know what you mean. I think this is a funny one for Brady to have to handle. It's obviously not straightforward. She is unequivocal in her response. She said that the club itself, of course, is unequivocal in its start to get all forms of racism and discrimination. It's obviously clear that West Ham is not a racist club, that Karen Brady is not a racist person, but it seems odd to say that she doesn't want to make a public statement singling out one particular group because that would overshadow the good work already being done because in refusing to condemn it we then get all of this news coverage we're sitting here talking about it and that gives it oxygen there will be people listening to this show who didn't know what the Democratic Football Lads Alliance was before we talked about it I've got no interest in giving it oxygen either but actually if she'd just gone uh, yeah,
1: no, they're not great uh, let's move on. That
2: would have kind of been the end of it.
1: You, you say that, but I mean, either way, in the, in this instance, the moment that letter, the moment that letter signed and, and sent out, asking for the club to, to take action and, and condemn, then you know, giving whether she comes out and actually names them or not, you're giving them oxygen. It doesn't matter whether, you, whether she says I'm not going to name them, or whether she does does name them, you're going to give them oxygen either way. So. Um, very difficult position for the club and Karen Brady to be to, to be in, but I mean I I, I can see why she hasn't um, because the club has you know the club has to remain I, I know you said they're not a political party, but the club has to remain impartial in terms of you know they want to be seen as a political party. So yeah, and important to note, you know they
2: do build themselves as an anti-extremist group. There yeah. are people alleging that that actually translates to anti-islam group but that is not they obviously would refute all those claims and that is not how they set themselves but, up yeah
1: and, and and her point is that you can't you know you talked talk about them as a as a potential political party uh if that's what they want to be or if that's what they're trying to be uh then the club can't be seen to to be to be talking about them because you do that, and then I mean, you might accuse me of being a little bit, you know, going a little bit too far here, but you do that, and then suddenly there'll be a letter sign going, Can you come out and condemn Theresa May for a Brexit No, equally. Uh, a Brexit uh, deal. And suddenly it gets a little bit out of hand. So I can see why, why Karen Brady's gone, Do you know what? I'm not going to, we're not going to name them, um, and we're not going to come out and condemn them personally, because then suddenly you will get other people going well if you're going to do that then you can, you can condemn this part you can, condemn that part you you're absolutely bang on with that here. and, and the, it gets a little bit out of hand, it's, well it? it's a slippery
2: slope and it's a funny one but equally if we get ourselves and this isn't a question of West Ham this is a question of society oh, yeah, yeah. if we find ourselves in a situation where we're unable or unwilling to criticize anything that seeks to set itself up as a political party that's equally dangerous because then and i'm not saying that this is necessarily the case with this specific group but it would be possible for someone to set up an organization which is genuinely say islamophobic and go well we're a political party so you know that's my democratic right and my view and you can't criticize me
3: no i i'd Completely understand where you're coming from, Johnny. But at the end of the day, Karen Brady holds a position of a football
1: club who are a uniting force. She's also a lady, but so she has to. She can't show any kind of. That's the lady. The literal title title you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, but not 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 like a female.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But no, at the end at the end of the day, she she holds a position within a football club. Who and that football club are your knight in force. We, me and you have been fans of West Ham for a long time, James. We'll turn up to games and there's people of different races, religions and ages, whatever you like. And mm. that's that's one of the best things about football as a sport, not just Definitely, West Ham yeah, as a club. Yeah. So by all means, what, what Karen Brady's come out and said, it makes sense. We, we You'd kind of expect that sort of thing. But at the same time, she can't ignore a letter from... A that's been signed by MPs and the mayor of the two like two big Tower Hamlets and Newham, two of the big like catchment groups of our fans. But it was also signed by again a member of the London Assembly who's also a West Ham Foundation trustee. So it it was a very difficult position for her, and in some other circumstances, like you mentioned, Johnny, perhaps she would have just gone, you know what? Don't worry about it. But it's come from someone who has got very close ties to the club and very like you know important political leads, so she's got to respond.
2: Yeah, and to be fair to her, she did respond reasonably well and she stressed, as we must, that West Ham, as you say, fight as hard as they can against racism. There is a lot of good work being done and it's a difficult situation for the club to find themselves in. Coming up, Spurs have got a new stadium, but is it any good? This is Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by James Jones of West Ham World and Will Pugh of the Bulls on the Line podcast. Now, West Ham had a new stadium a couple of years ago. This is very much in vogue because Spurs, as ever, have decided to copy you. They've got a new ground that they'll be moving into in just under a month or so. Obviously, Spurs fans being Spurs fans are unbelievably excited about this. They're talking about it like it's the Starship Enterprise, like it's some sort of intergalactic, monumentally wonderful, futuristic footballing hub of all things Pochettino. But is it really that good?
3: I mean, if you look at it from the air, it looks like a toilet, doesn't it? First of all. so That's the (laughs) first thing I think we need to remember. But no, you know what the worst thing was? Obviously, they had the under-18 game there on the weekend, didn't they? Maurizio Pochettino's son plays for Spurs under-18. They had the win. They won the game. I think it was 30,000 there in the first of two test events. And they've got a Legends game coming up. And Pascal Chimbonda is playing for their Legends team, He's a very
2: good player, I'll have you know.
3: You know, he currently plays for Ashton Town, non-league. He's still playing. Good luck to him. At the age of about (laughs) 71 years of age. And... 40, yeah, I, d- I just completely agree with everyone else who's saying that everyone's going a bit over the top.
2: And Tell you what, just quickly, on Pascal Chimbonda, we've got a Declan Rice in our midst. From 2003 to 2012, he got six caps for Guadeloupe, but he also played for France in 2006. So there we go. James
3: McLean, would you say about that, mate? <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, of all the, you know furor around the stadium, which is extremely late. It's gone over budget. It's supposed to cost £800 It's finally cost around the £1 billion mark. But all the furor around it, there was... I don't know if anyone saw it the the tragic video <laughs> that we all saw and it was tragic that's the only word for it of the man coming out and really naturally and there was nothing in it but crying his eyes out when he saw the new Tottenham Hotspur is is stadium isn't that to
2: be praised Will I mean you know he's come out he's overcome with emotion and he's had a little cry he's, on I'll camera be, I'll be
3: honest Johnny with overcome with emotion might be one thing but the fact that he kept glancing like this to check if the camera that was oh, supposed right, to be on hang, his face hang on a minute
2: if what we're implying is that this bloke is able to simulate tears on command he needs to be getting some kind of career change in because you read interviews with actors going that is one of the hardest things to do so if what we've got is a spurs fan who can switch it on for drama whenever a new stadium opens he is in the wrong line of work
3: you know what i I must admit and and i was i was kind of buying into it although i did think it was a bit tragic and i was a bit like okay fine you know it's an under 18 game chill out a little bit however it was the midway through the, the tears and the overcome with emotion mm-hmm. where he placed two hands crossed them over and placed them on his chest and <laughs> what like the stared, Virgin Mary yeah <laughs> stared, at the, <laughs> stared at the chicken that is adorning the end of the Tottenham Stadium is it a chicken it is a chicken isn't it, is it Chicken stand standing on, on a basketball and, yeah, cro- crossed his hands like that and looked up and then some more tears rolled down his cheeks I was like that's enough for me this video Press is going him. off but hang
2: on a minute what if with the tears it was only at that point that he realised he supports Tottenham Hotspur I mean maybe We were witnessing a genuinely sad
1: moment. Now, James, the hoodie, tell him about the hoodie. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know the bloke personally. He's probably a really nice guy, but he's not (laughs) done himself any flavors. He's, I mean, he's a fully grown man. He's crying over a football stadium. I mean, the only time we should cry over a football stadium is if you leave that football stadium forever, like we did at Upton Park, like they did at the initial whiteout lane. But whiteout lane's still a whiteout lane because they're still there. but he's wearing. I mean, he must be about. I don't know. I don't. Really, I don't want to. Offend Mid to late fifties. I don't want to offend him too much, as much as we've already done tonight. But <laughs> he, he's wearing a hoodie with West Ham. That'll Down. be. A he funny might be one. a West Ham. <laughs> I don't know. A Tottenham Hotspur. Like, it's like, mate, you're too old to be wearing clubber like that. Like, just wear some normal clothes and and rock up the new stadium. Be impressed with it. I mean, because. It's not that great, but it's it looks all right. Is it? there yeah, an element right. of jealousy? No, it, guys, not
2: but, just in terms of the quality of the stadium, but in terms of the location you said there. Yeah, White yeah, Hart Lane yeah. is still White Hart Lane because it's in the same place. That's a massive thing for Spurs fans. And would you, given the choice, have the London Stadium where Upton Park was? Would, yeah.
1: I mean, my big gripe with with the whole Tottenham thing is that they... they they tried so hard to get make sure that we didn't get that on the stadium because
3: they wanted it exactly
1: and they, i wouldn't go as far as say they wanted it. They were calling their council's bluff to to allow them plan permission to then build what they've got now uh and they they are the reason tottenham Hotspur are the reason that we don't own that stadium and the taxpayer are paying for that stadium still. A lot of people forget that if tottenham hadn't fought in the courts. For us not to be be allowed to buy that stadium, then we wouldn't be renting it. We'd own that stadium by now.
2: So for you as West Ham fans... because it annoys me. Well, I I can see exactly why it would. But for lots of neutral fans looking in from outside, they obviously don't blame the club or you as fans. But actually, the amount that West Ham do play for that stadium and a stadium of that quality and size is seen by many to be pretty low in terms of a rental fee. As West Ham fans, would you rather own it? Would you rather pay a massive bulk fee and go, "This is ours now"? Yes.
3: Yeah, I think because you got the more you got more freedom to do what you want with it. Then And you don't th- have to let Muse play there, <laughs> <laughs> or have baseball there in the summer. What's I'm about? not sure. I don't know. I'll, I'll take the baseball. I yeah. fancy. What about that, yeah. Muse? No, not Muse. No. Nah. <laughs> got to draw a line somewhere. No, I'd rather the use. Yankees and the Red Sox. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, I do agree and. The, the about the fact that you know if we own the stadium we could do a lot more with it it's ours then to do with what we will and hopefully I and I think that will come to fruition one day I think that's that's coming it's in the pipeline obviously not short term but I think it's coming however you know I I think in an ideal world you'd like to build one up from the ground wouldn't you but it costs you know no there's It's around the billion pound mark, the one billion pound mark. Like we were all singing and dancing last summer because we spent a hundred million pounds on players. Well, times that by ten that gets you a ground that's perhaps, you know, perhaps slightly better than the one we've got at the moment. Well
2: the beer fills up from the bottom of the glass. Oh,
3: we've all seen that.
2: And they have cheese boards.
1: um, Yeah, I mean of all the of all the clubs to have cheese boards, Tottenham's not the place for cheese boards. Fulham's the place for cheese boards. And sorry, go to the podium. Outside Stratford,
3: and they fill up from the bottom of the glass. There you I'm, go. Yeah, they are about seven quid each, but they do fill up. <laughs> they fill up the
1: I am impressed by the fact that they're selling pints of Amstel at Tottenham for four quid, which I think is very affordable for football. Uh, it's a shame about the season tickets though. I think they're cheapest at like eight hundred quid, yeah. which is a disgrace. Um, Should be charging football fans that amount of money to go to watch a football team play. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I,
2: I if I offered you. The London Stadium, or this Spurs new
1: stadium, uh, take
2: location out of it in terms of just as stadium. you
1: take a football stadium, right? Um, and don't get me wrong, right? We all know that our stadium is not a football stadium. Predominantly, it is an athletic stadium or a multi-purpose venue, as they like to call it. Um, and yeah, it breaks my heart that you know they, they've they've got a football stadium, and we we technically haven't. But the thing that really annoys me is that they tried so hard to ensure that we didn't get it. And then they've gone and got theirs, and they spent a lot of money on it, and it looks really, really nice. And then we're sitting there, and everyone's calling us thieves because the taxpayer are paying for ours. And it's like, well, hang on, why aren't you pointing the finger at Tottenham? It eh? because it's their fault that you're paying for it. Um, it annoys me a little bit, and I hope they lose every game there forever. But they don't <laughs> care
3: about West Ham, remember, James? Oh, of course, no, no, they don't no, care no, about no, West Ham.
1: They we're irrelevant to them. We're going to be the first team
2: to beat them there. It's interesting because Palace say that as well. Everyone is claiming that they're going to beat. If we beat them there
1: and we're the first team to beat them there we'll we'll be kings of North London because we'd have been the first team to beat Arsenal at the Emirates, first team to beat Tottenham at, at whatever the stadium they're called and... And, yeah, so I just hope we do it. Of course, if Palace do it before you do, they will be the first team to win at New
2: White Hart Lane, which, for a Spurs fan, would be a pretty worrying prospect. West Ham, meanwhile, are starting to genuinely settle into the London Stadium. And the next team to visit are Everton. Coming up, we'll be talking to Tony Scott of the Liverpool Echo to get an opposition view. This is Love Sport. It's that time of the show when we have to find out what's going on from an Everton perspective. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show with me, Johnny Burrow, and James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World. I'm delighted to say we're also joined on the line by Tony Scott, who's a matchday digital reporter for the Liverpool Echo and also is of the All Together Now Everton podcast. Evening, Tony. Thanks very much for joining us. Evening, guys. You okay? Very good, thank you, mate. Now talk to me about Everton, because I look at that squad and it is studded with quality. You've got Richarlison there, who we saw playing for Brazil in the international break. Gilfie Sigurdsson, there's quality all over the park. And yet, particularly under Marco Silva, they're still woefully inconsistent. Why do you think that is?
0: I think it's a case of Marco Silva getting his feet under the door at Everton so far, yet you could easily say he spent £80 million in the summer, which yes, he did. But he's still, obviously, there was a lot of players there. Under obviously He's even got players back from the David Moyes here that still there. Donald Koeman, Sam Allardyce. Honestly, there's been so much change in Everton over the previous three or four years. has been untrue. So what Marco Silva's came in, I think he's done quite well. If it was rating a season so far, I'd probably rate it six and a half, seven, considering the mess he was left with. Because he was left with three number 10s and Davy Classen, Wayne Rooney, Guilfie Sigerson. There was no balance to the team. There was no wit. There was no left back because Leighton Baines was constantly injured. So, in terms of what he's done in the transfer market so far, he's done quite well. So, in terms of the inconsistency, that's the players there that he probably will no longer want next season, so he's having to bite the bullet, bite his lip, and keep these players on side until the summer comes, and he probably passed them on to new clubs. So, in terms of the inconsistency, I didn't expect it to be this bad, but I think I can see excuses for and the reasons why. Tony, I mean, I'm, I'm, for someone
1: that sort of looked on, and you know, West Ham were linked with Marco Silva before when he was um, when he was out of work after he left Watford um, when we when we got rid of David Moyes, and I always felt that you know he, I would not go as far as a fraud, but someone that was still really untested uh, was that really a worry for Everton fans? Given that okay, I mean, he did an okay job at Hull, couldn't almost kept them in the Premier League. Uh, and then was doing a good job at Everton before uh sorry, Watford before he got his head turned, uh and eventually ended up, you know, leaving. Uh was that a worry that, you know, perhaps he wasn't as good as everyone thought he would be when he turned up at Everton?
0: Yeah, that was a worry amongst Everton fans because the, obviously they wanted the bigger name type of manager. But we've had that in the past. We went for Ronald Koeman. Obviously, he was a big name in football. Obviously, poached him from Southampton, and that didn't work. So we had Roberto Martinez from Wigan. That didn't work. So you're looking for up and coming managers. We've been along that route before. For Hadmarshiri, Everton's major shareholder, he wanted. Marco Silva for quite a long while headhunters and while he was at Hull didn't work out he went to Watford and he had to obviously wait his time for Watford and obviously Evan had to pay a substantial fee for him in the end even though he was sacked by Watford so he was willing to wait he highly rates him and we can't just carry on Everton in terms of chopping and changing managers so far. So Everton fans have had to get on board with this one. Some have been split, some wanted a bigger name manager, someone wanted a Mourinho and Ancelotti, but Everton aren't within their right to claim these type of managers anymore. They're not one of the top four. They're not one of the top six even now. The the one, the, one of the mid-table teams, the Wolves, the Leicesters, the West Ham's, as obviously we'll talk on later in the show, but I think Everton are one of them teams now trying to break into that top six, and until they do that, then they can obviously call for a high-caliber manager at that ilk, but until that happens, then they're going to have to cope with and trying to get young, up-and-coming managers that obviously go take them to that next level. Mm-hmm. Tony,
3: it's, it's quite interesting to hear you say there that you would rate the season around a six and a half, where Everton in, in the past, and it's certainly a view that I've held, is that they are the next like template, if you like, or the, the next role model West Ham as a club should have, i.e. there was that significant period of time when you were always top of that, Premier League Division B, as I call it. So outside of the the big six at the top, you were always at the top of that, and you you know you you'd creep in there, but you'd rarely fall below ninth place in the table for a significant period of time under Moyes. Interesting to hear you say that then, because you're only two points behind us in ninth, and only four points off of Wolves in seventh. So this season, which you you claim to be a six and a half, which strikes me as quite average, could still end up being quite a very what I would call a traditional Everton season
0: yeah I, I can see where you're coming from but in terms of this it's it's been a disaster in the cup competitions and that's what if you can't finish in that top six and it was quite evident that Everton couldn't finish in that top six so early on the season you've got to go and target one of these cups and they were knocked out in the in the first round in the cup competition on penalties at home to a lower league I think it was Southampton And that was the disaster for Everton. These are cups that Everton should be targeting along with West Ham and Wolves. If you can't break into that top six, target the League Cup and that's what they should have been doing. And obviously they went out of the first hurdle at home to Southampton. And then to have a nice little run, nice little passage, and then to be beaten by Millwall, that was a disaster away from home. So in terms of the season so far, the league has been quite patchy, very inconsistent. You don't need to look at ourselves in terms of, we beat Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, the game before that we had to lose against Newcastle. That's very inconsistent. They're very much like West Ham. Obviously, West Ham lost to Arsenal one week, then lost, sorry, beat Arsenal one week, and then lost to Bournemouth the weekend, the weekend after. So, in terms of, I can see where you're coming from. But it's the Cup competitions, which is Everton Bugbear. Uh, they haven't won a trophy in 25 years. The season weight goes on. Obviously, Liverpool doing so well hasn't helped Everton in so, so, favour so far because they can see Liverpool punching in all divisions in the Champions League and obviously going for the Premier League. Everton, out of every comp- cup competition so far. So it's obviously they're looking over what's going on across the park and they wanted a cup so much. We haven't even had a decent cup run. It hasn't happened. So that's why I'm rating the season a 6 out a six out of 10, 6.5 out of 10 because them cup competitions, Everton should be targeting if they can't make that top six.
2: And from a West Ham perspective, Tony, who do you think in that Everton rank is the danger man? Who will the West Ham defenders be looking at and thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I fancy this?
0: Arnautovic, I really like Arnautovic. He, he's one of them players who's got like a bit of an X-factor. I know Everton have got Richarlison on one wing and Bernard on the other and Sigurdsson's playing well. But I like Arnautovic. He's very unpredictable, always Gives us all, and I like that type of about him. One player I do like him. You probably spoke about him in depth a lot longer than I am, but I I love Declan Rice. I've been saying it for quite a long while. I really like the look of him. He's just ahead of his years. He's one of them players who's got automatically got a football and brain. Irish Young
2: Player of the Year, Tony.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what he's got is just you cannot coach. You can you can sit these types of players in academies and try and coach them to become better players, but he has got a footballing brain, and he's born with that. The likes of Wayne Rooney, Stephen Jeddard, Frank Lampard, Paul Scholes, these have all got natural ability. You've got a footballing brain that you don't need to coach, yet you can take them to so much. But they are born footballers, and Declan Rice is one of them. You can, he's going to go on to, to to the very top, I can guarantee that.
3: Tony, Everton, for me, growing up, were always our my biggest bogey team for West Ham and I would we we, would play United at home we'd play Chelsea and Arsenal in their pomp and I'd still back us to get a result against them more than I would against Everton and I'm pretty sure that (laughs) I'm almost certain Leon Osman's going to come out retirement the game and bag one like he always used to but what what from what from our point of view what was what would should we be worried about going into the weekend
0: I think Everton have got a bit of a new lease of life over the last couple of games. I know they had that defeat against Newcastle, but to keep two clean sheets against Liverpool, the Mergers are derby, a clean sheet against Chelsea last um, previous weekend with they won 2 0 So I think they've got a bit of momentum going forward now. The defence have got some stability in it, but having said that, two players have come back from international break. Injured, Luca Dean, who's been Everton's player this season by a long stretch He's, he's come back injured, and Yerry Mina's come back injured from international duty with Colombia. So I fully expect Seamus Coleman to line up, Keir Zuma to take Yerry Mina's place, Michael Keane, who got a good head of gold during the week for England. He's been playing well this season, and possibly Leighton Baines will come in for Lucas Dean. But the, I think the man for Everton is Richarlison. He's he's like that Arnautovic, that X-factor, a player who can just light up, take two or three players on and win you the game single-handedly. So in terms of a danger man, Sigurdsson's on 12 goals this season, Richarlison's on 12 goals this season, but there's a little magic man called Bernard and he's he's so influential what Everton doing in the final thirds, he's got that composure and in terms of what Everton have been looking for over the previous years, you've got Theo Walcott, he's sometimes running down blind alleys at times, hasn't got anything in the final third, just running into defenders, Bernard's got the composure and a big pitch like West Ham have got, I think that will suit them. So I know you've just said that Everton's record is quite good against West Ham. It is because they've beaten West Ham more times than any other team they've faced. But it's an interesting staff where you. you'd be interested in Everton haven't won in London in 10 visits. The last win was January 2017, so Excellent. I'm sure you'll be happy with we'll that one. that, yeah. And so-
1: that ended with a, a terrible loss to Millwall. I can't really believe he lost to those guys.
2: <laughs> well, it's it's <laughs> some hope for West Ham anyway. Tony, it's been lovely to speak to you. Just before we let you get going, I'm going to have to put you on the spot, I'm afraid. School prediction, what do you think is going to happen?
0: I think Everton will win this one by three goals to
2: two. Oh, Cheers, Tony. You're, yeah, thanks. You're, yeah. you're no longer a popular man in the studio, <laughs> Tony. But thanks ever Sorry, so much guys. for your time. Tony Scott, there, who's a match day digital reporter for the Liverpool Echo and also of the All Together Now Everton podcast. Coming up, we'll be getting the panel's view on the game against Everton. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones of West Ham World and Will Pugh of the Balls on the Line podcast. Just a moment ago, we were hearing from Tony Scott of the Liverpool Echo, giving the Everton view on this weekend's game. But gents, I'm interested to see how you're approaching it. Will, you were suggesting that Everton are a bit of a bogey team for the Hammers.
3: I just can remember growing up since four years of age. going to. I think my first ever game actually was West Ham-Everton in 1992. Six, I think. Duncan Ferguson scored twice for them, two all, and I cried when West Ham scored because it was too loud, according to my dad.
1: Uh, do, you know do you know what? I'm glad you said that because my first ever game, I cried when West Ham scored as well. So mm. you know we, we're on the right track. That's, yeah, we've we've just spent like 20 minutes having a go at Tottenham fan. I was about crying. to say you weren't crying at just <laughs> yeah. this day. Yeah, I was though. about four <laughs> then, so it's <that's laughs> different. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, but that was the last time I remember us seeing us get a point against Everton when I was four years of age. So, so, <laughs> so apart the, from, from
1: maybe the season. Yeah, and, I know. But, and, and, it, but and last season,
3: yeah. On, on the whole, though, I just always remember us. We just and we wouldn't have just oh, okay. lose. We'd get slapped as well.
2: So the all-time record. This is across all competitions, starting on the second of February nineteen oh seven in the FA Cup. Uh, it is sixty-nine games won for Everton, thirty games drawn, and forty-one for West Ham. So Everton do have the better of it overall. But as James was suggesting recently, it's not actually been bad. The last two Premier League meetings, West Ham have won them. Both
1: both three one, yeah. For, just want to say that I can't believe football existed before 1992, Johnny. I I
2: actually I don't think that was football. I think it's at badminton or something. But they just had an <laughs> Everton and a West <laughs> oh, Ham. Oh, it transfers enough. across. Yeah,
1: that's probably why the record's so poor. Um, yeah, I was said to uh, to Will earlier on today that you know I always remember being a bogey team, you know, and it was. I think it changed when we run we beat them in that penalty shoot out The whole Adrian gloves off. Thing and and then ever since then they have beaten us since then. Um, but the last couple of games, won both both and three one. They were our first victory this season after those initial four defeats. And, I th- I, I, and given our home form, this you know we've spoken about it last week and the week before that. You know that was it six seven wins and or unbeaten in six six or seven games at home at London Stadium. And I fancy us this weekend to, to to continue that. We're we're in good form. Declan Rice is gonna come back and you know, with a spring in his step. You know, we've got no injuries over an international break. Lanzini's gonna be fitter. Um, and it it's really gonna be it's a big battle for the top nine because I I, I genuinely believe that whoever uh, whoever wins this game will go on and finish ninth. Um in this <laughs> that all important spot. Yeah, so we we are not finished we're not going uh, cause I think Wolves and Watford are gonna finish seventh and eighth regardless. I don't know. But I think West Ham and, and Everton will finish we'll finish make up the final 10 so it's whoever finishes 9th so we're going for the top 9 in this game um, I mean it's it's an important position to go for Will I mean you're looking at me weirdly but no, you I'm know, still having last it. last year we finished 13th so 9th or 10th is progress 100 million pounds worth of investment progress but it's progress all the same
3: I'm still having it as battle for 7th to be honest because I think both teams are still in it Watford and Wolves are of course still in the cup they'll yeah, be focusing on true. that So they're going to forget about the league completely and we're going to beat Everton. Well, I'm not sure we will beat Everton, but I think it's battle for seventh. Do you know what our
1: our luck will be? We'll finish seventh. And then either Watford or Wolves will win the FA Cup and 7th won't count anyway. And one of those will get in. Because <laughs> we, yeah. ne- we need City to win the FA Cup for 7th to count to get into Europe. So that's what will happen. That would be dream seventh. for you though, wouldn't it? You don't want Europa League. Well, not if we're going go to like, start a season in, Jam- uh, in July or but wherever it is. The interesting thing
2: about this is that the further 7th gets away in terms of as a realistic target, the more James seems to want it. You were there saying, well, it's race for ninth," But you were then saying, I think, Wolves and Watford will fight for 7th with an air of disappointment. So perhaps <laughs> there's an element of forbidden fruit going
1: on. Guilty. Can, Guilty. Couldn't um, agree with you more. No, I, no I do. I'd, love it. I'd love it if you finish 7th. I've always said I'd love it if you finish 7th. But there are positives and negatives to that. Um, and you know, the negative is that, as we've seen <laughs> quite a few times over the last few years, that playing in those Europa League qualifiers can be a hindrance in your season. You know, if you go into the, in the group stages, then it's not too bad go directly into it. But Everton, you know, Burnley, Swansea, you know, they've all struggled. We've struggled twice um, against those giants from Romania. So, <laughs> um, I'll take it if it happens, but, you know, if not, I won't be that disappointed. Well, the first step as you pursue that is this game
2: against Everton. And it's that point in the show, gents, where I have to press you for score predictions. So, Will, what are you going for?
3: I'm going to hark back to Elan's famous diving header away and going to go for a
1: 2 all like that game. 2 Yeah. i got 2-0 West Ham.
2: 2-0 West Ham. He's not messing around, James Jones of West Ham. Well, James, Will, thank you ever so much for joining me. It's been a stormer. Join us next week on the West Ham Fan Show to find out who got their prediction right. Thanks for downloading this podcast from LoveSport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news, and views. Or for more, follow us at LoveSport Radio on Twitter.
0: Sport Social Podcast Network.